Jumpstart your healthy resolutions with reduced pricing on all my favorite supplements from Thorne. Right now, my entire curated selection of Thorne supplements is 20% off, including Thorne's cutting-edge brain support formula, Cinequel. I've added Cinequel to my personal daily regimen to fight off cognitive decline. Cinequel is rich in the best researched ingredients that help support brain function. Its active ingredients help maintain cellular energy production, encourage a healthy balance of inflammatory cytokines, kinds, provide energy to fuel the nerves, support neurotransmitter production, and protect against oxidative stress. It's available in two strengths, Cinequel for everyday maintenance and Cinequel Plus, which provides higher amounts of specific nutrients for shorter-term support after impact-related head injury. Just go to DeerHoffman.com Thorn for 20% off Cinequel, as well as my entire curated selection of Thorn products. That's DeerHoffman.com Thorn. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. It's our weekly opportunity to share important information with you, answer your questions. Questions come to questions at drhoffman.net. With me today are resident nutritionist Layla Mutant, and hence we call this Q&A with Layla. How are you doing, Layla? Okay, Dr. Hoffman. How are you? Good. Well, you know, we had our first snow, snow. in a long time. I have to shovel my sidewalk. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse so. me. <coughs> Keep talking about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So it's the first snow and it's become icy rain. It's become kind of treacherous walking around and all of that. And I looked out the window this morning and I saw the snow, but I saw it was still snowing. Otherwise, I would have been out there at 5.30 this morning shoveling. Right. It it, but I, it's still coming, and they said another inch or two. They so say I said, I'll been, do it later. They say it's been 700 days since our last snow. Really? And I don't recall much about snow last year, but it's hard to believe that we didn't have any snow at all last year. I don't, I don't think we didn't have any, you know, I'm not sure. Just, it, was fairly, it wasn't that cold. Right, 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 right. Now, I remember a few years ago, uh, when I first had to start shoveling snow, I did it 11 times in the month of February. That okay. was about four years ago. We had some really cold winters. It's very variable here in the Northeast. But so anyway, so we had our first little bit of snow, but it was kind of... Uh, what's called mixed precip. Yeah. And what I wanted to talk about a little before we get to questions is, you know, as I began to walk to work, because it's about mm -hmm. a mile from where I live to work, mm -hmm. and the sidewalks hadn't really been cleaned. Yeah. And they were a little slippery. I was trying to analyze what it was that makes walking on snowy surfaces and icy surfaces harder mm -hmm. than walking on dry surfaces and the, and the reason is is that uh i didn't exercise hard this morning because i had to get to the office early and i'll bet you that i'll be more sore tomorrow than if i'd undergone like uh, a regular workout with a long bike ride and or swim just from walking back and forth a mile so ah. total two miles on snow because of the way we walk mm, yes. and so i noticed as we as i walked I was really trying to seek stability because there is a little bit of fear of falling. Mm -hmm. And, you know, unless you're a young yeah. buck or, you know, like an alpine ski, you know, skater or something, mm -hmm. uh, you're going to find it a little challenging to go on 
an icy surface. So yeah. you possibly clench your muscles, use your muscles differently. I notice I use you my brace. hip stabilizers. I, yeah. use, I use my hip stabilizers a little more. And that's why my hips may be a little more sore uh, tomorrow from this walking. And my glutes yeah. possibly a little more sore. It's like you're walking and doing isometrics too. Yes. like Right. right because you're, you're clenching a bit. You're clenching. And then there are probably like little micro slides that you do. And each time you do that, you kind of get a little, like a grip. Yes. Yeah, so that you probably uh, strain your muscles in a little different way than you would yeah. if you were on a dry, stable right, surface. Right, right. It's right? like you're catching yourself. And, yeah. yeah. But, uh, so for example, we saw a, a very fit 67-year-old who was our morning patient. Yeah. And uh, I said, do you have any trouble in the snow? She says, no, no, I'm a New Yorker. And I said, do you work out? She says, yes, she's a personal trainer. And she does the wall squats and she does the, you know, uh, the lunges and she does all yeah. the requisite things that can prepare you for a day like today mm. outside. But, you know, I, I would wager that the way that people are deconditioned, a fairly high percentage of people over 50 uh, don't do well on days mm. like today. True. Uh, you know, and there will be, you know, I hate to be in the emergency room in the orthopedic intake because there are going to be some slips and falls. Sure, sure. On a day like today, I, when I was walking and I've got my best, you know, grip boots on, winter boots. Yeah. But I'm still looking almost straight down yeah. to make sure yeah. where I'm stepping. Right. Is there any it's black eyes? conscious walking. There, yeah. Right. Don't, and by the way, don't step on top of a manhole. No. Because they Don't become, step on any metal. They either. become very treacherous. Yes. And you I learn, walk around those you, and the subway grates. Right. Because I had taken a fall on a subway you grate once and I said, bitter experience. oh my gosh. I forgot that with the cold weather uh, a couple of weeks ago because I said, you know, it's been warm, it's been warm, it's warm. And it was there was a freeze and I walked on a grate and all of a sudden it was like, zip. I get that yeah, little and that little slip, little slip. So, uh, so, so, what? I guess the the take home message is um, train for this. Yes, and embrace it. Uh, go, don't let this weather daunt you unless you're really, really at high risk. Right, uh, yeah. because it's good training. And you know, this reminds me of an article I've read recently in AARP magazine. Okay. I'm kind of mad at them because they've been sending me things since oh, so, I'm 30. So, right, exactly. <laughs> it's like, hey, wait a minute. Anyway, it's this kind was, of an insulting, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this, this was a good article. It was about how to fall properly <laughs> so right, that you don't right. break your hips, right. so that you don't, okay. so that you don't hurt your shoulder, how to curl your body right. in. But Dr. Hoffman, as I'm reading this article, I'm saying, but it's just instinctual to do this. <laughs> to reach out. How do you? And then you right. And then you. How do you? And then you get what's called a collie's fracture. You know what? Yeah. Uh, for for a listening audience who can't visualize this, uh, you get your Le hands Layla, out in front of Layla's you. Layla is making the the cat's the cat fall right posture with right. the paws outstretched. Yeah. And that will result in a what's called a most frequent fracture in in older women is a collie's fracture, fracture of the wrist. Yeah. You fall forward. You put your hands out. And you break your wrist. Yeah. Uh, and that can affect your hand mobility and you need an operation, you need pins. It's all, it's a mess. Right. So, uh, that bone is very vulnerable to fracture. So, um, but you know, I, I reflect on this and I watch college. I mean, I can't tell you how much football I watched this weekend. It was an immersion in football. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And between the playoff game, uh, the college playoff game, you know, which I had to watch, uh, championship game, and then all the wild card games. 
mm-hmm. uh, except for the one that was on Peacock where you had to pay. I refused to pay. I did yeah. not want to pay because it was like a, you know, it's, it's on principle. On principle, I'm not going to pay. pay for that. So I watched like three out of four of the <laughs> games. Uh, so the but you watch those guys, and they get hit and fall in the most insane ways. Yeah, and I kind of go. You know, when I'm not just paying attention to the game, I sometimes go, I would not have survived that fall. Honestly. Unbelievable. I don't know how they do it. Yeah, because they do it all the time. And sometimes they don't survive the falls. And you see a lot of them being carted off the field on, you know, gurneys. And you can't be afraid to fall if you're going to be a football player. No. (laughs) You can't be afraid of of any of that. Right, You know. So you're going to fall a lot. You're going to, you know, know, flip over. You're going to, like, really careen into people. Um, but it, it's all the more remarkable that they're able to do that. But then again, what we're watching is the result of a selection process that starts, you know, maybe in junior high school, goes through high school, goes through college, goes yeah. through the pros, mm-hmm. and only the toppest top people appear in the playoff games. And they're acrobats. Sometimes they'll like score a touchdown and they'll do a backflip. Just to, you know, like show off. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, not, and, not just the dance. Like a celebration backflip, uh-huh. which is fun to see because they're acrobats, you yeah. know, in effect. Um, but uh, yeah, so look, um, we don't expect you to be, I mean, we could take a note from the page of the NFL uh, running backs in terms of stability, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of, I think we should train like an NFL, you know, a halfback or fullback. Right. Uh, because uh, that is a survival strategy. And it's actually, in my opinion, more important than getting like, uh, you know, Beniva or, you know, uh, Prolia. Prolia, these, because those things will make your bones harder, mm-hmm. but they won't prevent you from falling. No. No. And I've already had a hip fracture, and it wasn't because I was osteoporotic. It's because I fell off my you, bike. You fell hard. It was, an, it yeah, was yeah, trauma, yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I remember that. Yeah. So, yeah, and this how to fall properly, it's it's basically telling you to try to fold into yourself as you're falling. They also teach this in martial arts, how to when you're falling, Absolutely. how you roll. Yes, yes, yes. You're folding right. into yourself, right? Yes, yes. right? Mm-hmm. So that you're you're coming closer to the floor. But how do you do that when it's instantaneous it's like, that you trip and you're a little airborne and go, "Uh-oh." And again, the cat paw, it's, it's just there's a it's instinct. There's a rock song. Stop, so, drop, and roll. Stop, you know? drop, and roll. Can I use that? <laughs> <laughs> and the rest of the line is stop, drop, and roll. You're on fire. Uh, uh, you know, it's like, but it's in this case you're not on fire. Okay. Anyway, so I'd like to have some reflections on winter time walking because actually a lot of the country, yeah. some of our listeners are in the grips of real record-breaking cold in yes. the Midwest. I mean, we saw those people in the Iowa primaries. You know. 30 below, God bless 25 them for showing below. Up. Yeah. Gotta be dedicated. Gotta yeah. be dedicated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Wow. So, well, they're kind of used to that weather, to the upper Midwest, and yeah. So. But still, yeah. Yeah. And here we are in January. Talking about the weather. (laughs) Talking about the weather. Spring is coming soon. All right, so let's get to questions. Questions come to questions at drhubman.net. Well, actually, our first email is a comment. Which, by the way, we invite invite comments because the comments are a good um, jumping off point sometimes for response 
or for conversation. So yeah. we're happy to get comments too. Yeah. yeah. This comes from Sue. I've been subscribed to your podcast for quite some time because I'm a huge proponent of integrative medicine that's backed up with science and chemistry. I've enjoyed listening to your podcast, but your recent two-part discussion with some guru naturopath regarding homeopathy was a monumental disappointment. She wasn't a guru. She was a doctor, yeah, she's right? A, she a, was a doctor. Just to correct that. Yeah. Uh, she... I mean, I think there's a, almost a little bit of a stereotyping there is that somebody with an Indian accent is a yeah. guru. Mm. Um, you know, she actually uh, is a doctor, but trained in India. Yeah. And the doctors trained in India, they go, they could go into one of two programs. They're going to go very, most of them go into a highly westernized program. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit like the way that osteopathic medicine and uh, regular and, MD yes. versus DO used to be. Yes. The DOs used to be a little more holistic. Now they're almost virtually identical to MDs, but yeah. they had a little more discussion of manipulative techniques, um, not you know psychological <laughs> manipulation, right? But, you know, uh, physical manipulation techniques. Yeah. And they learned a little bit more of that orientation in DO school, osteopathy. Yeah. Osteo comes from bones, and pathy means the pathology of bones. And so their original philosophy yeah. was to, like, akin to chiropractic, but more medically oriented. So, yes. so they, so now DOs and MDs basically are interchangeable. But in India, you well, one or two pathways. You can go to a conventional training program, which most of the kids there do now. Or you can go to a classical homeopathy training, which is still very popular there, where mm -hmm. you learn conventional medicine, where you go to the bedside of sick patients, but you, you learn both about medication and you learn about homeopathy. So mm -hmm. I think the training is very rigorous there. It's five and a half years. Uh, you actually, they incorporate, I think you take like, uh, uh, you go directly from uh, high school into that program. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like a, uh, an MD, uh, a BAMD program. Right. Right, 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 right. Right. So, mm -hmm. but it's pretty rigorous. So yeah. I would. It's just that she's not did not go through the hoops of becoming right. an MD in the United States, which is a you know rigorous process. Yeah. Well, Sue so says she practices as a certified nutrition specialist and a master's degree nutritionist like yourself. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Sue says homeopathy is the epitome of quack medicine and has been debunked by the scientific community over and over again. I'm really disappointed that you chose to go down this wormhole on the Intelligent Medicine Podcast. Why not just stick to science and admit that if homeopathy works at all, that it's due to the placebo effect? End of story. Well, you know, first of all, I did introduce that perspective in the, in this podcast. You did. And, and I'll, t I'll tell you a little bit why I entertain that podcast. First of all, I do not practice homeopathy because mm -hmm. if, really, if I really thought it was that beneficial to my patients, I would incorporate it. Mm -hmm. uh, I also think that in order to do homeopathy, you can't just dabble in it. You have to be all in on it. Yeah. You have to really have that kind of rigorous training uh, like Dr. Dari had. Yeah. Um, uh, her name is uh, uh, Vidya, Vidya Udare. Mm -hmm. um, so I was trained as an anthropologist in mm -hmm. college. And in anthropology, we're taught the principle of cultural relativism. And so what fascinated me about anthropology is that there are systems of thought and systems of life and systems of healing that work in other societies that are very different from ours yeah. and that do, are not so highly based on a scientific paradigm. Now, that doesn't mean that there are perfect things. You know, mm -hmm. the witch doctor who blows smoke 
you know, from a, you know, like some uh, psychedelic plant on a, a patient who's suffering from a fever, I'm not sure there's a science that really understands how that works as a healing modality. Mm. But within that society, there is, that is a healing practice. Yeah. Is it complete quackery? Uh, well, if, if there was a, a medicine at hand that mm -hmm. would be much more expeditious, I'd be for it. Right. But in many of the conditions that she treats and that we treat, um, there is no direct path to a scientific cure. Mm -hmm. uh, so that healing is, is science, but it's also an art. Yeah. And I think homeopathy uh, is is high on the art and maybe a little bit shaky on the science. Yeah. And I got to say that from a conventional standpoint, the science I've been taught, physics, chemistry, molecular biology, I don't understand how homeopathy could work. And I actually challenged her with that. Yes. And she came back with some answers, which are standard answers by homeopaths because they invoke some theories that mm -hmm. are controversial theories within physics, that there is some sort of energetic thing that's going on. But it is, I got to say, it's quasi-mystical in my opinion. Yeah, energy medicine is burgeoning. Okay, yeah. It's like the a book I read recently called The Biology of Belief. Right. There are things, it's like, the, it's the placebo effect. Even in the most rigorous scientific research, the double-blinded, mm -hmm. randomized control trial, people who believe they're being treated, they get better too, and there's the placebo effect. What I say to you is, what's wrong with that? You know, they believe they're being treated and... and they're getting better. And, but you know what's interesting about that is uh, studies do show that when placebos are used, people just don't think they're better. Their numbers get better. Yes. Markers of disease get better. That's my point. Right? But here's they the other thing. They feel better. The, even in studies where they say, okay, I'm going to give you a placebo, they full out say, uh -huh. it's kind of a double blind placebo, placebo study. Right. Where they say, I'm giving you a placebo. People still respond to it. They don't go, it's worthless. They go, you gave me something. It's you disclosed it was a placebo. Yeah. You it, you administered something. Okay. And people got better. I, I think for maybe for, for two reasons. One being, it still was a treatment. There was a treatment. Right. But the second reason might be... He doth protest too much telling me he's giving me a placebo. <laughs> he must be giving me the real thing. Well, that's true. You know? It's a little bit like, yes, you're right. It's like it is implanting he, a subconscious he's message. He's just insisting he's giving me a placebo. He's right. really giving me the treatment. It's kind of like, don't think about monkeys. <laughs> right. You know, it's right, like... Right, 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 right. There's, yeah. there's almost like a neuro-linguistic programming that's yes. occurring that in the recipient of that suggestion. Yeah. yeah. Like, okay. So, I, so I, and here's the other thing. Mm. I like presenting controversial things on my program because yes. I believe that what I present is an opportunity for people to explore and expand their exposure yeah. to many different modalities. Yes. And not of them not all of them will be right. Now so for example, I interviewed a guy about the use of psychedelics. Yeah. And he's a big proponent of that. And you know, I had some uh, I gave him free reign to discuss it, but I did push back on some things like, well, what about the dangers of it? You know, mm -hmm. is it possible to induce psychosis with these treatments? Uh, you know, um, should you, what are the precautions when you undergo, you, you shouldn't just go and, you know, get some 
bootleg psilocybin and, you know, take it on your own or, you know, go uh, to uh, some retreat uh, in some distant place and take and then die because it was laced with fentanyl well or, or you know <laughs> bootleg or, or you know just you yeah. don't want to you know like on a, a a trip with a yeah with a witch doctor or something you know, maybe maybe that could work uh but it i think that some of these things need to be explored more rigorously scientifically sure. yeah uh, that's where i come from i agree with this person yeah um i just but i also find that people who too vociferously protest um, have a bit of a narrowed perspective on healing. Yeah. That, you know, we preclude some possibilities of almost the uh, magical or the art of healing mm -hmm. in uh, by so rigorously adhering to uh, what we term scientific standards because science is an expanding understanding and in the future we may have better ways of understanding how these right. things work. Right. And it's never settled and it's always... Yeah. But I guess, you know, it's evolving. This is, and this is why, you know, also, uh, we do have opposite, like, for example, quackbusters oh, who, yeah. who poo poo anything but Western scientific medicine. They say that acupuncture is BS. They say that chiropractic is BS. They say that naturopathic medicine is BS. They, you know, they just say it's not scientific. But, you know, um, there are scientific studies even for homeopathy. Yes. But conventional medicine hates homeopathy. And, you know, I get it because, I mean, I come from mm -hmm. a scientific background and it's hard to understand how it could possibly work. Mm -hmm. There you go, Sue. Okay. We've got a question from... And I, I will yeah. point out one other thing. Yeah. Is that sometimes I think that homeopathy is a better alternative to conventional medicine, which is harmful. Yes. It's I it's concur. Al it's almost better to do nothing uh -huh. and, and, and be confident in your... Or seemingly half nothing. of doing nothing, yeah. okay. than to do something when it's going to be harmful. Yeah, uh, that's a cynical view of homeopathy, though, because I think homeopaths would balk at that. Mm -hmm. But at worst, mm -hmm. homeopathy is an opportunity to gently administer nothing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And you know, I'm going to get blowback from homeopathic yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. proponents by saying that. Yeah. But it, you know, for example. When you have a, uh, like a child has a cough or a cold, and you give them a homeopathic remedy, it's a hell of a lot better than giving them like uh, some kind of over-the-counter cough suppressant. Yeah. It's better. It really is better. It is better. The whole concept of like cures like, which yeah. is homeopathy, is really fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if that homeopathic remedy prevents you from taking your child to the emergency room to get proper care when they're in emergency, in, in like... Uh, respiratory uh, failure, yeah. then that it becomes harmful. Sure. But for yeah. a lot of things, mm -hmm. it will do. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, I don't want to belabor it. And a first do no harm approach is, is yep. seems to be forgotten about yep. in recent decades. Anyway. Yeah. All right. Louise writes, Dr. Hoffman, my coworker mentioned he has heartburn when drinking red wine only. Can you speak on why this happens with red wine and not white wine? Well, what's the difference? Well, the, well I mean, they both have alcohol, so it's they both not have the alcohol. alcohol. It's right. probably not the alcohol. Yeah. So it's something else in the red wine. Yeah. It could be sulfites. It could be tannins. Yeah. Red wines tend to be a little more tannic mm -hmm. and things like that, which is kind of like is classified as an anti-nutrient. 
right. the way lectins are and things and other plant foods, for example. But you know, it could release more histamine. It could release histamine. Uh, there's, I think, a, a lot more people have trouble with red wine than yes. white wine. Yeah, 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 yeah. I do. Yeah, I, you know, I, and this is really bad for me for pairings because I'll have like, like a red meat, and then I'll say, ah, oh, white wine, which is not really a good mix. But I don't want to get the nasal congestion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that all that all is falling out of favor too. You can have a nice white with your steak and mm-hmm. red with your fish. Right. And all of this kind of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. So... And there's also something... Mm-hmm. I think uh, there's a bit of a knock on quercetin. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a study that I read recently, people with migraines get worse with quercetin, uh, which is a great thing. Quercetin is really great for, you know, for COVID. I don't see for, how that causes for allergies. It's it Of course, it's anti-allergy. But yeah. I, I, it's also anti-niacin flush. If you take it 30 minutes before, a high-dose niacin, for example... I, Quercetin is so good. Yeah, I just don't know. I, I think that it it might be worthwhile if someone is experiencing migraine headaches to consider avoidance of quercetin yeah. to see if it makes it better. To see if it makes a difference. Yeah. With, with any migraine, I think elimination is the first thing. But coming back to the heartburn, Louise, your coworker probably just is intolerant to it. Yep. And it's causing heartburn. Or... Is your coworker having that glass of red wine along with tomato sauce and a spaghetti? Right, 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 that could be a right. cause of heartburn is, is the tomato I, product, I would point out that unlike difficulty swallowing anything, uh, That's a mess. eating is not optional. Drinking alcohol is optional. Absolutely. And yeah. it, you know, it's yeah. kind of like that stupid old joke that my father used to really convulse over is, you know... You know, the old joke about the guy who goes in the doctor and goes, he shows when he bends his finger, he says, when, it, when I move my finger like this, it hurts. So the doctor says, so don't bend your finger like that. <laughs> it's the oldest joke on the circuit. And it's no longer funny, but my father thought it was It funny. is funny. <laughs> right. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so this is a good point at which to pause because we divide our podcast into two parts. And so give us a preview of what we're going to tackle in part two. We have several more questions. My sister has myotonic muscular dystrophy type 2. Can you recommend supplements? Okay. When we return, more of today's Q&A with Layla. You can send questions to questions at drhoffman.net, and we do appreciate comments and feedback about our podcasts.